And our preaching text comes from Matthew chapter 14. Now, when Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing nothing but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out with his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our reading today contains two very famous stories. That first one of Jesus feeding more than 5,000 people with just a few loaves and a couple of fish. And that second of Jesus walking on water as he and the disciples make their way back across the sea and back into Galilee. Now, when we think of these stories, we usually think of them as two quite separate stories, at least I do, with two quite separate lessons to teach us. For example, the first story, the feeding of the 5,000, shows us how the kingdom of heaven operates differently than the kingdom of the world. We see here clearly that the arithmetic of the kingdom of heaven is nothing like the arithmetic of the kingdom of the world. I mean, we know the arithmetic of the world. It's really very simple. It says things like two plus two equals four, and five loaves plus two fish equals thousands of hungry people. But the arithmetic of the kingdom of heaven, the arithmetic of the gospel, it's a bit freer with its results. Here, two plus two might equal four or five or six, depending on God's purpose for it. And at least for one evening, two millennia ago, five loaves plus two fish in the face of thousands of people meant all ate and were filled. 
On the other hand, we have this second story, the story of Jesus walking on water and Peter's half-successful attempt to go join him. Teaches us, it, it teaches us the importance of trusting in Jesus to save, of even when the storms seem so powerful with their threats. I mean, when his eyes are on Jesus and his ears are attentive to Jesus' words, Peter walks triumphantly over the chaos of the wind and the sea. But as soon as he looks away, as soon as he begins to consider the foolishness of what he is doing, as he hears the wind and he sees the waves, he immediately begins to sink so that Jesus alone is able to take him by the hand and bring him back to the safety of the boat. But here in our reading today, we see that these are not actually two separate stories at all, but rather one story of a remarkable 24 hours. It all begins back at the beginning with Jesus hearing some bad news. I mean, the sort of news that's typical in this world's kingdom. He learns of the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. You probably remember the story, right? Herod Antipas, who is the ruler of Galilee and also the son of that same Herod who was king when Jesus was born, had arrested and imprisoned John. And at the request of his stepdaughter, who was also his niece, it was a complicated family, he has John executed in a grisly fashion. And Jesus, when he hears the news, leaves. He gets into a boat and he goes to a deserted place in order to be by himself. Now, Matthew doesn't fill us in on what Jesus is feeling at this time, but we can make some guesses. Maybe it's grief that motivates Jesus to try and take some time away to focus and to pray, to rest from the hard and constant work of tending to the needs of the crowds. Or maybe it's an awareness of the danger that he himself may be in. After all, it wouldn't be the first time a Herod tried to kill him. Whatever the reason, Jesus travels by boat to what is supposed to be a desert place, but when he arrives, he finds that the crowds have followed him by foot tracking him from the shore, coming close so that he might cure their sick. And Jesus responds, not how I might respond or how you might respond with annoyance or anger or frustration, but with compassion. Rather than telling the crowds to leave him alone, he spends the day healing their sick. And finally, as the evening approaches, his disciples remind Jesus of the logistics of the situation. Jesus, this is a deserted place. It's getting late. Shouldn't we be letting these people go so they can go uh, to the nearby villages and find something for themselves to eat? And of course, you can see the logic of their suggestion. After all, this is the sort of thinking that makes the world go round. In this sort of, uh, it is this sort of careful planning and forethought that leads to success, at least in this kingdom. But Jesus has something else in mind. And so he replies to the disciples and their logical planning you give them something to eat. And I imagine after Jesus said this, there was a pause. As the disciples study Jesus's face to see if maybe he's joking, right? Certainly he can't mean this. He can't be serious. Certainly he must realize that they are in a place where there is not an abundance of food. I mean, even if they had time to run to one of the villages around uh, and then get back, how could they afford enough food to feed such a multitude? And even if they could afford it, I mean, would a village have this much spare food on hand to just out of the blue feed thousands of hungry people? And even if it did, how would they carry it? 
I mean, so you can understand the disciples, when faced with the magnitude of the task that Jesus is giving them, they respond, well, we have nothing except for these five loaves and this two fish. Now, of course, we know how the story ends, or at least this half of it. We know that Jesus blesses the food and he breaks the bread and the, the disciples distribute it to the crowd and that everyone eats and is filled and that they end up with more food left over than they started with. We know that on at least this one occasion, the arithmetic of the kingdom of the world proved inadequate to accommodate God's compassion. And so the arithmetic of the kingdom of heaven came into play, providing an abundance in this place of scarcity as the kingdom of heaven always does. Except, of course, the story doesn't actually end there, does it? Because it continues, and it continues in a strange way, because as soon as Jesus reveals to the disciples the power and the abundance of God's kingdom, he makes them leave. I mean, did you notice that? I mean, I don't know how many times I've read this chapter in Matthew, but I think this week is the first time I've ever noticed that Jesus is the one who makes the disciples leave even before the crowds are dismissed. The people have been miraculously fed, the day is drawing to an end, and it is finally time for Jesus and the disciples to get the rest that they really need. But Jesus makes them, compels them even, it's a strong word in Greek, to make their way back across the Sea of Galilee. And what's more, it seems that Jesus has chosen the very worst time possible to send them. For even after he's dismissed the crowds and he's gone up in the hills alone to pray and he's made his way back across the sea walking on the water, the disciples are still in the boat, being battered by waves, working against the wind and not making much progress. I mean, it's almost as if Jesus was just sending them right into hardship, right into a storm. You know, sometimes it feels that way in our lives, doesn't it? That we experience these wonderful moments of life, of abundance, that we experience these times when God seems to be so present, so close to us, and then immediately afterward, suddenly we're in a desert place. Suddenly we're in the midst of a storm and the waves are threatening to sink us. I'm sure each of you can think of examples from your own life of something exactly like that. Of a time when God seemed palpably present only for a week or a month or maybe even a year to pass and you find yourself in a season of spiritual famine. I mean, Matthew's gospel has moments like this. Jesus is born. He has wise men from the east come and visit him, these foreigners. And then almost immediately after they have to flee to Egypt because Herod, King Herod, this other Herod's father, is jealous of this new king born in his territory. Or Jesus goes to be baptized and he hears this wonderful sermon of his father's, this is my son, my beloved, my chosen, in him I delight. And what happens immediately after? He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted by the devil. For whatever reason, it seems like blessings are very often followed by testing, by times of trial, by temptations. And it's no different for the disciples. It seems strange that Jesus would do this. 
I understand that he wants some time alone. He wants to go and pray. Maybe he's trying to do the disciples a favor. They don't have to dismiss the crowds. They can just be on their way. But the result of it is that Jesus has this time to pray on his own while the disciples are struggling across the lake. And I can only wonder what they were thinking of Jesus's decision, insisting that they get into the boat and begin to cross. Clearly, Jesus is no sailor. He didn't know what he was sending them into or so it seems. And so when they see Jesus walking by them and they think that on top of a storm battering their boat, there's now a ghost walking by them on the sea, they are terrified until Jesus comforts them and says, it is I. Now, why would Jesus do this? Look at the end of our reading. Look at the end of this story. Look at the very end of what happens here uh, at the end of our story. What happens? When they got into the boat, Jesus and Peter, the wind ceased, storm suddenly ends, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's almost as if Jesus wanted to get them to this point. Feeding a crowd, multiplying the loaves and the fish was something spectacular to be sure. But it hadn't yet quite made believers of these disciples, at least not in this way. This is the first time in Matthew's gospel where the disciples will recognize that this is the Son of God. For some reason, it takes a storm and being weathered by that storm and even having Peter go out and walk on the water a little bit and then begin to sink and be rescued by Jesus to come to this realization that Jesus is not just a great provider of food, but he is the Son of God who saves, the one who rescues from storms, even if at times it seems he's pushing us right out into those storms. I don't know about your storms. I have inklings of some of them. Others of them, I'm sure, are hidden. And I don't know if God is pushing you into those storms or not. Is God responsible for them or is the devil or something entirely different? I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ, the same Jesus Christ, who can feed thousands of with a few loaves and a few fish, the same Jesus Christ who effortlessly walks across the top of the waters of chaos and wind and storm is passing by your boat today. That he is calling to you, be not afraid, it is I. And that whether you jump out like Peter or stay in the boat like the more prudent disciples, Jesus' arm is strong enough to save. And Jesus' word is strong enough to calm that wind and that waves. And that Jesus Christ has not forgotten you or abandoned you, for you belong to him. Amen.